AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr., a production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio. I'm Steve Smith Sr. And I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It. Cut To It. Let's get down to it, cut to it. We ask the questions you always want to know, but no one ever asks. Let's cut to it. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. We got a good one today. Yes, we do. The host of game theory an entrepreneur he's a host not of game shows mm-hmm. but he's also a journalist and super ooper uh ooper super ooper super ooper he got so many degrees yeah and yet <laughs> he's doing sports but we'll get into that bomani joe no man thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah we about to have some Welcome. fun bro we about to have some fun kick back take your shoes off yeah Close curtain, everything's good. <laughs> My better curtain. That's, that, that's that bath, bed, bath, easy, and beyond. Easy. They don't that ain't West. That ain't West nah, Elm right there. That's not West Elm. Nah, I think you're ignoring the fact that I'm a single man. Like, <laughs> I, like, like these. Like, if you were to ask me to go get a good curtain, yeah. <clears throat> I could get you. I could go get an expensive curtain, yeah. but I can't tell you that I would know a good one. If I saw it, hence kind of why you're still single is probably. Nah, it goes the other way. <laughs> <laughs> you stop being single and you learn these things. Long story well, you're short, you're not gonna convince me that before you got married, all of a sudden your furniture game and your decor <laughs> was just super duper on point. At least the stuff that you did for yourself, not the stuff that you one, outsourced. One, one to one, one to one. I'm light skinned, so I can say possibly. <laughs> I'm just saying, we all learned the game. At yeah, this I was, point, I was I, gonna say, I, game recognized game. I, I got it. I did got you it. see my face? I said, possibly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so man, um, I love this one. This is this is really this is right up your alley. It has nothing to do with the podcast. Just random, just super duper random questions. So ice brown. It's called get iced up. Yeah. So it's just like you're gonna be like, why is he asking me that? I, it's just. Just to get you relaxed. And then sometimes I'm a dad. So there's times where I just have, I just got terrible dad jokes. Mm. 
right? <laughs> so you can go into your repertoire. Well, they actually there's an app called Dad Jokes. Oh man, you! I thought you see, I was trying to help you. You you're supposed to finesse out of it. Yeah, no, nah, no. Nah. Sometimes you just gotta own it. You just gotta own it. All right. So here's a pretty bad one. This okay. is an icebreaker. Um, why are rivers so rich? Um. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Good question. And Why are rivers so rich? Because they have two banks. But oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. I see. Oh first. man! Hey, that was the best I got right there, dog. Oh, and it. I gotta say, no. I was really trying to like think I could like get it. Like, I was like, I'm going to figure out the answer I'll, myself, and nope, couldn't. Didn't get to the banks. I'll, I was, I was like, is it about currency, perhaps? Yeah, nope, nope, nope. The banks. I was letting you go through that performance. I was just gonna wait on the answer. Yeah, it's it's really it, it literally. I said this the other day. We were at dinner. Um, we we're at lunch, and my kids looked at me and was like, eh. "Yeah." So, but whatever. I, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I, it was. I was feeling it. So Drake, that's all that counts. Drake talked about that fake love. That's that's it right there. Yeah, you know that fake love. I can have it right in the line before we check on that flight. <laughs> 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 all right, um, man. Who is someone important in your life? Somebody important in my life. Yes, uh, for this one, I'll say my brother. Like I moved to New York five years ago, and one of the cool things is that my brother's thirteen years older than me. So like. We're closer in age now than we've ever been before, if that makes sense. Like yeah. when you're 18 and, he, you know, he's 18 and you're five, <laughs> you know, than what it is now. Um, and so, and so, like, I moved here five years ago. He lives like literally a block away uh, from me now. And so we get to, you know, kick it as adults, like both of us being adults, yeah. which is like a real cool thing. Yeah, not like he being an adult and you still in pull ups. Yeah, you still got to sit yes. up. <laughs> yeah, like not everything I do now is a reason to give me advice. Yeah, because you know otherwise it is. It's like hey, it's a story. Yeah, let me put you on to something right fast. Yeah. Yeah. Caught the potty. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you um, man, where are you from? In a place you call your hometown. I was born in Atlanta, but we moved to Houston when I was six, and we stayed there until I was 16. So I'd say I grew up in Houston. Yeah. How was growing up in Houston for you? Well, it's interesting because I grew up in like the northwest suburbs of Houston, but my parents taught at uh, Prairie View and m University, and mm-hmm. my parents thought that where we lived just had too many white people for them to feel comfortable putting me in the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to school in this town called Walla, Texas, uh, population 1493 when I graduated. Mm. So it's like I grew up in one place, but went to school in another place. Hold on, though. How, how many? 14. So less than, you know, <clears throat> less than 1,500 people. How many people are in your graduating class? No, my graduating class had 200 people. Okay. You know okay. How it goes. Well, see, how it goes in the country is one town has the school for a bunch of towns. that are around right like you just got the one that's the location and then you know because it's geography and then they bring everybody in so we had like 200 people okay okay um in my graduating class but yeah so it's kind of interesting to like live in one place Mm. but your like day-to-day life is in another and it's also kind of interesting when you do that and 
most people are trying to go from like lower income areas to find ways to sneak into the schools of the higher income areas. And you got a higher income sneaking yeah, into we, the lower yeah, we income. Yeah, the other way. We, we, in ball, we call that ass backwards. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, though? That's the thing about being black, though, right? Is that the social, <laughs> the social stuff is so important. Yep. And so rather than winding up like isolated as like the one black dude in some of these other spaces. And I seen it happen to other people and I seen them get destroyed by it. Mm. Instead, like I went to school at what people would kind of think of as like middle of nowhere type stuff. And it was the best thing that could have happened for me because what I had to learn was how to actually talk to people. Mm. You know, like you could be the smart kid in these other places and just only be around the smart kids and you come out of there and don't know how to interact with people, right? Like that's how you, you know, and it was a learning process for me. But I got an awareness of life where if I had just gone to school with a bunch of people who grew up in the same neighborhood as I did, I would have had a much different view of the world than I did from going somewhere where like class isn't what's determining who goes to school here. It's just pure geography. And so you meet a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little mm. bit, you know, all these people all over the place. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's the thing that's a little different for me about it is I learned very quickly that, OK, my parents are professors. That's cool. But you better learn how to talk to like secretaries too. You know what I mean? You better learn how to talk to the people that work in the building and, mm. you know, and recognize that they are you, you are them. Like ain't a whole lot of difference between us. So, so with parents who were professors, what were those kitchen table conversations like for you early on? Well, the thing with them is, at least for me, it was less about like what they were saying to me as much as what they were saying to each other. And I just happened to be there. You were you know? ear so hustling, like, I like to call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like them talking about what they see on the news, it lands a little different when it's an economist and a political scientist talking about it. It's not like, it's just like you know what I mean? Just a it's little like, bit. Yeah, and it's, but it's not like they're talking about it in like highfalutin terms or anything like that. Like it's not, you know, it's not that sort of vibe. But what, what made that interesting for me, though, is so since my siblings are old, right, like my brother's 13 years older than me, my sister's 10 years older than me, the people I went to school with live 20 something miles away. So like my hangout partners by the house are these professors and their friends who are also professors. So I'm at home and there's like that level of conversation that I'm accustomed to. It took a long time to figure out how to adapt that to like dealing with everybody else you know you, know, you sound that's like right space. now it, it, mm. it's, it's funny is <clears throat> you sound like my i'm not comparing but you sound like my son deuce mm -hmm. he who's seven my oldest is 24 second is she'll be 21 in september then i got a, a soon to be 17 year old then we got a seven year old right and when my 17 year old is he's at basketball practice or not at the house there are things that me and my wife are talking about that Deuce is ear hustling on. And then he's starting to interrupt and ask follow-up questions. Right. Like elaborate on that. Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and it, so it, it's, it's, it's you're connecting. Exposure. Yes, you're connecting those dots. Yeah. Like you're talking, I'm going, wow. Like just... Right. Just thinking about it. So, you know, and, and I interrupted to to connect the dots. So what are some of those conversations that 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 G asked that that you that you soaked up then that, that you, you soaked and maybe that you even haven't applied until now that you yeah, like you're just you're just connected dots like, oh, like because I know they're not sitting there having 
hyper, uh, you know, intellectual conversation. They're like, they're at the house between their walls, right? Mm -hmm. Intimate, you know, mom and dad, you got their stuff. And then they're just loose, right? A little bit loose where they don't have to concern themselves with, you know, how they say it. They can sometimes say it in in the way that they, how they truly feel, uh, economically, uh, ethnically, Shit, by the end of the day, just kind of like, hey, I'm I'm just tired today. And this is and just just saying it the real way they want to say it. Yeah, like I think the big thing, and I picked it up, I know exactly when I fully put the dots together, like, oh, you're right, is like my father's skepticism about race in America. I did not necessarily share the whole way. Because like, I grew up in the 90s. The 90s to me were like the most optimistic time on race <laughs> that you can think of. Like, like we actually had an era where high fashion was clothes telling people not to be racist no more. You know, like it was kind of a dawn of a time that felt like we might've been doing something. And then Hurricane Katrina hit and I was like, oh, I was wrong about everything, yeah. right? Like, like, wow, no, they really will just ignore us just because we're black. Oh, they really will stop us from coming over a bridge just because we're black. Like, I just, that was like a wild thought to me up until that point. Like, it could be like almost, it'd be governmental, not just like a couple of people around. And so like hearing my dad and my parents are both like sit-in, you know, folks who did in, involved in significant, like historically significant sit-ins and stuff mm-hmm. when they were younger that it's that discussion. But I think the other part that where I got really lucky was I spent, since I didn't live where I went to school, I would go to my mom's office after school Mm-mm. and she was the Dean of Business at Prairie View for most of my childhood. Mm-mm. And so I had like exposure to how an office ran and importantly, it was being exposed to an office where a woman is at the top of the chain like a woman is the one not just that people have to respect but also is the person who establishes the culture um of the office and that as i really look back at it like i think about now doing this tv show and not like being the boss boss but being on top of it that learning how to like i learned how to relate to people in offices and kind of see the importance of how everybody feels about different things and stuff like that people having the good fortune of being around that managing people Yes. Managing people and recognizing that like flexing power in people's face ain't going to work. Like respect is earned. You're going to have to like if they don't respect you, you ain't going to make them respect you. Right. You can make them fear you, but you can't make them respect you. And I think that's something that women are far more likely to understand than men, because in the end, men, you know, as go to the parking lot to really come down to it. You know, like there's a chain of there's a chain of events (laughs) to earn that respect with women. Nah, you just got to earn it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like it. I'm, it's it's a lot there to unpack because there is there is some things that you know as men <clears throat> it just doesn't add up for us. Right? Mm-hmm. We just don't get it. But then you also add the business aspect of it, where you know I, I, I use a phrase "bull in the china closet," right. right? And then listening to everyone and and taking the temperature of the room and figuring out. Uh, who, you know, for myself is figuring out what is what is Sally, what is Jenny, mm-hmm. what is James, what are they going through at home to know what can I get out of them today and figuring right. that out and then also going, yeah, Allison just is having a tough day today. So mm-hmm. it's no sense trying to pull that 
extra out of her because all you're going to do is actually reset the whole office. You're going to mess up the whole office, and then now the whole office is going to be mad at you. Yeah. And you're the boss. Yeah. Right. Things you got to navigate through. Uh, going, going back through to your, your upbringing, you graduated from Waller High School in Houston when you were 16. Now, that don't, that's not something that happens every day. <laughs> Walk us through that. No, it's just um, when we moved to Texas, um, I was a little ahead of the curriculum that they were teaching. Slightly. At time. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, the thing was, like, prior to that, the way I describe it is I did, like, homeschool at somebody else's house, but it was real, like, red, black, and green, power to the people type situation. You know what I mean? And so... In a situation like that, you're not going to what is your quote unquote grade level. You're going as far as you can go. Yeah. And so when we moved to Texas, that was just jumping back for me to like things I had long done before. And it just didn't make no sense for me to be in the grade that they had me in. And so they put me up one. And then on top of that, my birthday is late is in late, late August. Mm-hmm. And like September is the rollover for schools there. So for me, it became interesting because I was already one of the youngest people in the grade I was supposed to be in. And then you get skipped a grade. So I'm like two years younger than people in my actual grade. But it's what it always was, so I never really gave it any thought. It's stumped in like middle school when everybody's growing and st- you still waiting for the party to start. <laughs> um, but by, you know, by 12th grade, I got up six feet. So, you know, I, I made it back to the point. You know, I, I got back I got back around to where the crew was eventually, you know. But in, in the intervening time, yeah, you know, like sports wasn't going to happen for me. Like the calendar <laughs> dictated. <laughs> wow. That's true. Did you ever feel out of place because of, because of that? And if you did, did you ever feel that being out of place, did you ever view that as an opportunity? No, I didn't feel out of place because of age stuff because I was – like I was in school with all those people from third grade up, like whatever it was, it always was like, they might not have necessarily known how old I was, wasn't, but I didn't get that part um, really too much thought. Um, Cause it wasn't like I couldn't hang in the spaces I was in. So like, if I was in, like, if I, if you skip me a grade and I'm way less mature than the kids in the grade, because I'm too young, then that's going to be one thing. But whenever they put me up in something like that, like I was, I was cool with being in that space because I like I knew why I was there. I knew I could hang. Like it wasn't that thick. I'm spending all this time hanging out with actual grown-ups. Yeah. You know, these kids who are just a year older than me. That ain't good enough. You you had your folks, right? You had your brother, yeah. and then yeah. you were, you know, age-wise, you were you were younger. So it was it was just status quo for you. That yeah. was that was that was every yeah. day. You flourishing and standing out. <laughs> He doesn't it's even just know. what it was. Yeah. You don't even, what it was. Yeah. yeah, you don't even know you're flourishing. That's right. just your everyday, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's, well, the other thing was, for whatever reason, I've been somebody that people could identify as smart, like really early and without mm-hmm. like much background. It's not like they're just waiting around and being like, oh, this guy's really smart. Like for whatever reason, people catch it pretty quick. And so, especially when you go into school with the same people for all these years, like <laughs> they knew I was the smart dude from 1987 on like that's that's who and what I was and so I always had a place because I always had that which is actually cool because I learned something that I think a lot of like smart kids don't quite get which is the other kids do they don't 
mind you being smart they just don't want you to be a jerk about it you know what i mean like they might pick on you for being a nerd but everybody wants to be smart Ain't a single person out here like man i wish i was dumb dumb. dumb. (laughs) who wants to be dumb i'll take it it. (laughs) yeah they just don't want you to be a jerk about being smart but it was always my bag like it it was when i went to college it was a problem because i realized oh you got to have a different hustle than this like like that's like i'm the smartest person in the room does not work as an adult but as a child People think that stuff is kind of cool. What What were some of your dreams growing up as a, as a, as a child? Man, so it's actually funny because like Bo Jackson was my like number one athlete, hmm. hero. Like it shit, still is. What am I talking about? It used to be. Yeah. Um, and I remember I had the Bo Nose post. I don't know if you remember. It's one that went long ways across the with wall. the bat with the like, bat with the shoulder. No, pads. this is the one where he was doing everything. Like it's him. Yeah, he was both. He was uniform. both. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like in a hockey. Yeah, in I, hockey was, gear. I was too poor. We just had to bat the shoulder pads. I didn't know there was another. I didn't, yeah, that was. That I had bikes. Long. I didn't have Nikes. I had bikes. So <laughs> only, <laughs> only one I know was the shoulder pads and the bat. Yeah. All no, what you're talking until, about. It, it that, I'm not on that right side now. of the county. I'm, I'm on no, the other okay. yonder. It did not. I did not realize until right now that bike shoes were actually bootleg Nikes. Yeah. I had never put the two and two together. Yeah. Sears. Bikes. You can get them from Sears. Yeah, I just, it, yeah. until right, like I remember them and I was like, oh, what an interesting name for shoes. But I never <laughs> never considered that that was it. Yeah. But, no, but it was the poster with him doing all the stuff. And when I was growing up, I wanted to do everything. Like yeah. I believed that I could be good at doing a zillion different things, like jack of all trades. Like that was the idea of what I wanted to do. And it's actually kind of wild because um, I did a the 30 for 30 on Bo Jackson. I sat for that. And it dawned on me while I was in it, like, when you look at what, like, especially what media is in this day and time, but I am doing, like, five, six different things at a different point in time. You know, like, it kind of worked out that way. I love Cut To It, and I I love it even more when you download us and subscribe. And... You can follow us on social media too, Smitty. Where where at? That's at Cut To It on Instagram. What about Twitter? At Cut To It. Facebook? Cut To It featuring Steve Smith Sr. What about online? And you can follow us at CutToItPodcast.com where you can buy merch and you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. I got all my answers. Questions. Um, yeah. I got all my questions answered. That's what I'm here for, brother. Cut to it podcast.com. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Bro, you got all these degrees. You went to college. Mm-hmm. But you're doing sports. Yeah. How and why? Um, 
It's a couple things. So when I was in college, I started like freelance writing about music and culture and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed it. And when I got out of college, the one thing I knew was that I did not want to go to graduate school. And I definitely did not want to study economics again. But I remember. <laughs> why, studying? I was, why study all of that? Yeah, was it was it, here's how I go. So, <laughs> while, while so while I'm finishing my senior year and I'm writing, I'm talking to this guy as a freelancer and I you know, looked up to him. He was far more experienced than me. And he sent me an email saying how excited he was because he had made $10,000 freelancing in the previous year. He was doing his taxes and he made $10,000 and he was really excited about the fact that he made $10,000 doing it. And I said, wait a minute, $10,000 is an exciting figure uh, for this freelance life. Like if I make $10,000, maybe I should be happy about it. I completely misunderstood uh, what kind of money was out there. <laughs> and so I didn't know what I was going to do, but this guy who owned a magazine, I want to say in like Baltimore, he hit me up. He was trying to start this and he had all these like pie in the sky things he's going to do for me and, you know, about paying and all this stuff. And I hadn't heard from him for a while. And my homeboys were going to D.C. And I said, look, I'm going to ride up with y'all and I'm going to meet with this cat. I borrowed $100 from my parents. I got in the car and the dude stood me up. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was at my homeboy's mama's house on the couch, my head back, distressed because it's like August. I have a degree and I have no plan. What am I going to do? And I get a phone call from Claremont Graduate University in Claremont, California. And they're like, uh, so we sent you some emails about this fellowship, but uh, you never responded. And now, I, now I'm here to listen. I ain't got no plan. <laughs> you know, tell me some more. And they got to talking. And I said, I mean, you got to talk. And I said, cool. And I was like, okay, so this is, I'm assuming, for, the, you know, for January, for the spring. And they're like, no, this is for the fall. And I called my parents and was like, you know, can y'all, you know, can y'all get me there? And they did. And so I got there and my thinking was, okay, I want to do this writing thing, but I want to get to like, kind of like that public intellectual space, right? Like the Michael Eric Dyson type mm -hmm. of stuff. And I realized there were no people who were, no black economists who were in that space. And I was like, okay, so if I, I can become that dude, right? Like I can use this to do that. And so it was always really for the writing. And so the first degree was great. Like I really learned a lot just about the interplay between politics and economics, which is really helpful in sports with just the business of things. And when the business of things becomes part of the actual politics, like not like some Kaepernick stuff, but like stadium building stuff. Like, yeah. you know, I understood PSL, how, you know, PSLs how to talk about and, that. And, and stuff like that and revenue sharing. Yeah, and exactly. Like what's exactly. going on with the commanders, how he's shortchanging yes. that. Ooh, yeah, we'll, like that kind of stuff, We'll right? get into and, that. <laughs> yeah, and so I had kept going through school with it. And after I'd done that master's, I was like, yeah, I kind of dig this. I think I could do a PhD. And then I started the PhD program. I was like, I don't enjoy this at all. And it doesn't enjoy me back. Like, this is just a lot of hard work, and I'm not as good at it as I want to be. And I realized I had a master's level curiosity about that stuff, not a PhD level curiosity. Mm. And so when I left the graduate program, I had established myself well enough as a writer. And in the meantime, I had met uh, the late, great Ralph Wiley. And he had walked me up to ESPN already, and I was doing some stuff with them. So when the school thing fell apart, ESPN happened to call and was like, look, we got some projects that we think you might be interested in working on. It's like 2005. And so I started working with them. And that's so 
I use the school stuff actually all the time. It's about a thought process. Like it was the thing I had when I got in the game, I didn't have access, right? Like I'm not in the locker rooms. I can't talk about things on that level. So I had to find how can I talk about sports in a way that's fair to the people that I talk about, but also unique and worthwhile. And so I started putting big stuff together so to help explain little stuff. Let me ask you with that, because I, I, as an analyst, I struggle with that. I struggle with it in my day-to-day job because there are some people that I work with and you you know you've worked with people as well which at times the media <clears throat> the media sometimes when a reporter talks or a beat writer the fans have a belief system that that beat writer has a good bad or indifferent Right. Some type of relationship with that player or the organ with that player that they're writing about. Right. Would you say, and I'm even learning nine times out of ten, most of the time they don't. Your eyes popping, what was that? That was a yes, no? Yeah, that's a yes. Oh. <laughs> that's a yes. And and I'm always but what I was going with is as an analyst, I'm always interested as noticing that a lot of the some of the people that I work with and I work with a number of people mm-hmm. aren't, they don't even go in the locker room. They will be talking about things. They didn't go to that training camp. They haven't talked to anybody. They may have had a five second conversation and looked at, you know, and say, Hey, this team is winning and this is the reason why. Mm-hmm. So my question from that, what do you think, where do you think media and the way media is reporting things now Where do you categorize it? I think that it's always important to recognize like what is and is not your lane, right? So for me, if somebody compares me to Stephen A. Smith, the one thing I always point out is is Stephen A. Smith got 30 years of stripes on the ground that I don't have because my life just went in a different direction. You know what I mean? Like it just didn't, didn't go in that place. When Stephen A. Smith is telling you he heard something, it means something different yeah. than if I say I heard something. Like, if I tell you I heard something, I mean, I just heard something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm just telling you, like, yo, it's a wild stuff. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, you know, Stephen A. Smith tells you he heard something. You need to perk up and you yeah. need to listen. Now, if I tell you, all right, I know something, yeah. then I am telling you, like, it ain't normally like that or yeah. whatever it is. Correct. But this time, like, I know you got what lucky. I'm talking about. Like, you got yeah, lucky. Right. You're like, man, right. I was talking to somebody. I overheard something. I was there hustling. Right. And boom. <laughs> G right. and Steve yeah. told me. Yeah. You know, or somebody, or, or at this point, you get on TV long enough, the fish start jumping in the boat. Like, people start calling yeah. you to tell you stuff. Yes. You know, like, yeah. like, you don't have to go find them no more. Yeah, it's coming to you. They start yeah. finding you. There's, but, been, but it's, there's been times people have told me that. Yeah. Like told me information. I'm like, I think this is a trick. Yeah. Yep. I think they're yep. trying to see if I'm a snitch or not. Yeah, right? that happens. And I'm going, yeah. Dang, this is good. I wonder, should I say something? I don't know if I should say something. Yeah. Now, now yeah. the answer is just go get go. What's two people tell you? <laughs> now you're but, but see, I'm still now I'm still, where there's smoke, there's fire. <laughs> but I'm still stuck on the first person. Yeah. I'll be like, I think this is a trick. I'm too busy in my. Oh yeah. Oh no, you're right. But the, at that point, it's like, yo, man, I know you told me this, but like three, four people done told you know what? Like what three, four people done told you? Yeah. You know, like if it's just two, but it's like, look, man, somebody else told me too. Like you need to know, like this out here now, there ain't really nothing I can do about it. I don't even get that far. I'm in the beginning. Yeah, you, 
I would show like I I would get the information. I go in my room. I'm yeah. in a hotel room. And I'm like, I don't know what should I do. Yeah, right? right? I write it down, yeah. and I never interact with anybody else. And then I'm and then I'm shook. So now I'm yes. at tra- now I'm at training camp. <laughs> I'm at training camp. Do they know? I know that they know <laughs> that something's about to go down. Yes. He didn't speak to me. He knows. I know. <laughs> And then I leave and they go, man, does Steve really enjoy himself? He didn't hardly talk to anybody. I'm walking around with... I'm going through a murder mystery. No way. I'm walking around with their secret, but I'm holding it like it's my secret. Yo, reporting is terrifying. Like the the, the couple of times that I've like tried to break something is the most terrifying thing in the world. Because somebody going to say you're not telling the truth. Maybe they lying. Maybe they're not. Maybe this person you talk to is lying. Maybe it all goes all over the place. Like... There's a stomach for that particular game that I acknowledge. I don't have. I don't need to be the first to make you talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I see guys who do that. But to your point, though, about being on the ground, it's a whole lot of people. Like, because of my background, I'm a member of the media, but I, I, don't, I don't look at it as like I'm a member of the tribe because I didn't come up with these cats, like, yeah. on the ground in the same way. Like, there's a solidarity that they kind of yeah. have amongst each other. They do. That I it's can, honor amongst thieves. Yeah. Yeah, right. There's no self. There's not enough self criticism yeah. in the industry. Emphas- emphasizing thieves, but continue. I, I figured. <laughs> but I do think that we as a group don't don't check each other enough no. on things unless it's time to like unless it's time to like step on somebody's grave or something. But we don't do that enough. And so there are a lot of people who are in a position where you can cover the NFL only talking to owners and agents. Right. Mm-hmm. It's honestly, it's a lot of white people only talking to white people. Right. They're talking to the white agents that they know. They're talking to the white executives that they know, the white business managers or whatever it is. Mm. And that's where all their information gets trafficked. And then they are never on the ground actually talking to players or, or even anything. scouts or guys that are on right. the road, uh, position right. coaches. Right. And, the, and they're guys that are the opposite. Right. Jay Glazer, for example. We talk to everybody. Yeah, his game is on the ground. Yeah. Like, Jay Glazer's talking to dudes. He's talking to your strength coach. Like, he's all talking, of that stuff. He's talking to the dude's nanny yeah. and, and the dog walker. Like, he yes. knows that uh, he was walking that dog and he had a limp. He's on, he's on the ground. I mean, even, <laughs> even Bamani said earlier, and I'm glad you brought it up, like, a lot of people don't realize Stephen A, and Bamani, I know you spent some time in North Carolina. Stephen A went to Winston-Salem State. He was working for Winston-Salem uh, Chronicle. He yeah. was covering high school football. Like, he came up from the bottom. And that's a struggle because North Carolina, huh. high school football. Yeah, yeah he came up. Like, he's, he's – but everywhere he's, gone, everywhere he's gone, he's cultivated sources. So, yeah. to his point, like, when he says something, oh, it's rooted in facts because he's come from the bottom. But the problem is also still on the ground. He is on the arena twice a week with all that work that he does. Yeah, he's still showing his face in an arena built twice a week. The part that that's struggling though is really is as you do all of that, you almost have to take a side. You're talking about you know white or black. It's like you either pro player or pro front office right and there's times like even with Stephen A where he can talk about things and the players are not happy in the way he's talking even though you know he's going to talk about it sideways anyway yeah Yeah. (laughs) I am I see it's interesting because you're right I 
I don't think you necessarily have to si- have to have a side, but I'm transparent about it. Me, I got a side. My <laughs> side is pro player. My side is pro labor. Generally speaking, yeah. like it's always going to be that in part because somebody has to balance this out. Now, Correct. I'm not going to be unfair to management because I recognize everybody got a job. You know, it's a bunch of weird stuff. And I also get that from the perspective of media, especially with football, the players are in and out so much. The front office guys are going to be there consistently. And yeah. so your game is probably going to be to try to work with the guy that you know is going to have a job for five years rather than this dude that might be a salary cap casualty next yeah. year. It's 53 of y'all. So, you know, <laughs> ain't with so many people. The quarterback don't want to talk to you. You got to go through three people to yeah. get the access to him. So it's not that I don't get how it goes, but I do see people and the way that they like root for the front office. And I'm just kind of like, nah, I, I wouldn't raise like that, man. I can't imagine doing a job like this and not recognizing that if there's somebody who needs us, it is the player more than the team. So with all this being said, Bamani, you've been able to really find your niche. You, you've talked about it, being the intellectual in sports, intersecting music, pop culture, societal issues, race, all these things. How are you comfortable in your own skin? Why not? Hmm. Like the thing that honestly for me is like you were talking earlier about like being younger and whether you felt out of place. I don't know if there's any like space that I'm in where I truly feel like I'm in that place. Like I always feel like there's some big difference between me and most people that are in a room, no matter what the room happens to be. But instead of feeling out of place in all those rooms, it just feels like life. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what room I'm going to be in, I'm going to be on some I'm going to be off on something yeah. that's different than a lot of people or that you, are in that room. Or you may just be getting there or yeah. someone else in a room makes a look or a comment that lets you know that you're not there yet. Yeah. yeah but you know what, though? But the thing for me is if it's always going to feel like that, then either I can trip out in every room I'm in or I can trip out in none of the rooms. I'm in. <laughs> and so. Like, I tell you this, when I started uh, with Around the Horn, not really with ESPN, but when I started doing Around the Horn in 2010, the first time they called me, I made a decision. I was like, I got two choices. I can go about this like, man, I hope they call me back. Or I can go about this as, well, I got one chance. Let's just have a ball. And I went with number two, and they wanted that back, right? But, like, before I came back to ESPN full time, I had said that I wanted to work at places and establish who I was and what I did so that whoever hired me next wasn't going to be hiring me to do what they did. You knew you were hiring me to be this. Yeah. And once I did that, man, it's just like, what you going to do, be mad? Okay, (laughs) that happens. Yeah, but it does get you in the principal's office a few times. And so my flip on my flip... My flip oh, on I, that. I am good at staying out of the business. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so my flip on that was going to be how you deal with the haters then. Because like you said, when you show up and you be unapologetically you, sometimes that pisses people off. So then on the flip side, how do you deal with the haters? There are so many people in this world that I like, I mean, that I dislike for no good reason. I just don't like them. <laughs> That's life. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Like not everybody's going to like what I do. And we all know this from a very simple example. What percentage of your homeboys that rap actually make good rap music? Mm. <laughs> That's still your man. Yeah. He just can't rap. And so if you don't think if you don't think I can rap, whether I know you or not, okay, cool. You don't think I can rap. But they, but if I got people who do think I can rap, then I'm gonna rap for them. For them. Yeah. Your yes man. Yeah. Your yes man. <laughs> you know? 
But I think, but no, but I think the other thing though is that those people don't know me. Yeah. I'm not even a person. Steve, I say you know this as professional athletes, you realize when people screaming at you, they don't think you a person. They just think that you a dude, like a dude in the video game. Yeah. And they just think that I'm like a dude on a screen and you could throw something at the screen and it don't hit the person, right? They're not thinking about me in that way. Like, I was, you might I, not like I've had that, what I do on TV. I've had someone actually on Thursday night throw something at us. On yeah. on and I um I, I my switch went off. Oh, <laughs> I, I would imagine so. <laughs> no, it wasn't anything. It was beer on my suit. Mm. Oh, 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 yeah. No, so would, yeah, that's, that's, that's not that's someone who doesn't Google. I, that's uh, someone who doesn't Google. <laughs> the camera, like, pan, hey, the camera panned off because they hit me, and you know when you get hit, it's a delay. Re- you know, like when you're a kid. Yeah. You put yeah. your hand on the stove, and it's del- it's like I think this is oh, this that, is hot. That director does not get enough credit for their choice right? that day. Oh yeah, cut, 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 cut. I saw it, and they and I was like, uh, it was like you look on your phone and you go, somebody stole money out of my account, right? You go, <laughs> it's a, you like you're registering it, but it's just not gathering. Right. It was like it ain't raining. Like whoa, motherfucker! And it yeah. was camera. And I just look back, like, yo, and and I know I'm growing because I was like, man, I hope this comes out of my suit. That was the first yeah. thing I was thinking about. Yeah. Then the second thing was, are they trying me today? <laughs> you always have to have that self-question, right? Yeah, that yeah. self-question. In my dress clothes? <laughs> Do they not know if I take this jacket off? I got this stretch underneath. <laughs> And it, it's just, it's amazing. Me personally, I, I used to, when I first started media, I struggled with the haters. Because they all tell, you're dumb. Well, to this day, and I could joke about it. Oh, he can't speak. He's the worst. Analyst NFL Network has. Well, one, um, I can speak. I, I, I'm lazy. And that's why sometimes I get in trouble at the house because I curse, right? So I'm lazy with my tongue. But I know for a fact I'm not the worst. I know I'm not. At least, I know at least there's two other people worse than me. (laughs) Right? But you know what happened with me, though, and where I got lucky was that, like, with, with, because Twitter and all that has increased the access we give haters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I got on Twitter in 2009 and I was doing local radio. Mm -mm. And so. As my following is building, I'm now like getting into new spaces. So then I started doing around the horn. And what I noticed is when I started doing around the horn, the people who were didn't like me, they were a lot meaner than they had been before. Yes. And I was saying the same stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is just about the fact that I'm on TV and this person screams at whoever's on TV. Yeah. That's what they do. And so that gradually builds. And so because I was becoming more famous and all of this stuff, also as a 30-something-year-old man, so I was an adult, you know, as it was happening, I was able to watch and it made it abundantly clear, oh, this has nothing to do with me personally. Correct. This doesn't have very much to do with my actual work. This is just what people do. Yeah. And so there ain't nothing nobody going to get on the damn internet and say to me and really have me taking it personally because I know these people don't actually know me. And I do know I'm good at this. 
Like, you might not like it, and that's cool, but ain't never going to be a day I can't get somebody to pay me to talk. Yeah. I may not be able to get them to pay me millions of dollars to talk, but, you but there's all, somebody <laughs> always going to pay me to talk. That's, all, I will be just fine. That's all you dope. need is one. You don't need a lot. Just, <laughs> just one. All you need is one yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't, you I don't even need a yes. <laughs> just to trick me. Just a, a direct yeah. deposit is not a yes. It's a direct deposit. Like, Steve, you think about this. It's dudes in the league that coaches like way more than fans, right? Like somebody that keep on getting a job and fans are like, I just don't understand it. And somebody's like, you don't understand. He occupies two gaps at one time. (laughs) Right. And so it like, they don't take a fan vote before they put dudes on rosters. No. Right. And so it's the people there. And I've always been lucky that like people who made decisions have rocked with what I did. Yeah. And so, you know, the public is a little fickle. But people know talent when they see talent, and they know who does jobs when they do jobs. And so people who don't like me, I focus on the people who do. Yeah. Like, we have a great time together, the people who do like it. Cut to it. Cut to it. Let's get down to it. Cut to it. Hey, Gerard, where did you get that T-shirt? You mean this thing? Oh, yes. I got it from CutToItPodcast.com, where we have exclusive merchandise. Shout out to our guys at 704 Shop. But, yeah, you can go on. Buy you a t-shirt, subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. With all the knowledge and everything you went through, why are you in front of the camera versus being behind the camera? Well, right now, I'm like doing game theory is the first time I've had the chance to like which is both. Which is super dope. Yeah, like the dynamic of ESPN ain't a lot of people also producing their shows. You Correct. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, game theory ain't nothing going up without it being run past me. And it was slight a trip flex. when I first got <laughs> that was yeah. a slight flex no. right there. We did. But no, it was a trip though, because when they're first like, yo, the show has to be your show and your vision. And I was like, I've been so used to doing shows that was somebody else's vision, I didn't even have one. Like it wow. took me months to figure out wow. like what I wanted the show to look like mm. to the point where now we just did our fourth episode and it's so clear to me now. Like when I hear something, I'm like, nope, that don't sound like us. Nope. That's not, you know, the way that I want to go about it. I got like the corner office with the Empire State <laughs> Building view Damn. and all of that. that boy, and that I do think, yeah. but I could, I mean, I, my thought is, if this is the last television project I ever do, I'm fine. Like it's that it's that good of a gig. Like I I, I don't know how what else I would do. Mm. And then past that, I'm now at the point where I know enough to then make that move behind camera. Because the truth is, man, being all camera, there is a measure of like prostituting yourself. Like you are the product. Mm. Come on, and man. that gets you old. Got, you ain't got to say it like <laughs> that. 
Yeah, you know, but it's like, you know, like there's different types. There's different types. You know, we classy with it. But in the end, it doesn't always feel good when you are the product. Like when I be out there late at night on them street shoots and I want to go home, except it can't get done without me because yeah, I am yeah, the product. You know, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, so, so now that you're sitting in it, what gap do you see that you filled with game theory? So what I think has happened with game theory is, and I tell this story that when they called me to do the show, I looked at the deck and it was a very like straight ahead comedy sort of thing that was just going to be about sports. And that's not me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm funny, but I'm not a comedian. And so I looked at the deck and I told him, I said, look, man, this deck doesn't work for me, but I am literally the only person who could host this show and it have a chance to be successful. And my explanation was, you can't just put somebody up telling jokes about sports. People take this stuff seriously. It's very serious, right? Yeah. Like, like they, like they don't. People get divorced over. Yes, like they needed. They need somebody whose opinion they respect up there, not somebody they think is funny. Okay, so once you find that person, you need somebody that can drive the content that you want to do. And I was like, I don't see anybody else in this space that can do it for you that way. But I made it clear we can't we can't try to make me into a comedian, right? Mm-hmm. What we need to do is take what I do and figure out how to maybe make it funnier and bring it to life. But we can't make me into a comedian. So what we got now is we found a good comfortable space where there are big issues in sports. And I don't mean like big, like controversial. I just mean big, like the scope of them is large. Yeah. So our first episode was about coach K's legacy. The yeah, second I, one was I about watched, athlete. Man, I watched the co- coach K one. And at first I was like, dog, you were like, where's this coming from and why and how? And then obviously doing your research is like, oh, I went to North Carolina, right? So, and I, mm-hmm. and I can understand it, but also the clips in which how you categorize saying America's team mm-hmm. yeah, and how you put it against <clears throat> Duke versus Georgetown and how the announcers was talking yeah. and, and it's so crazy, but yet things like that happen. Every single day. They was happening in the 80s. It's happening in the 2022s, 2021s, where yeah. we'll see it. And we see it now less is, is more in football be quarterback play. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about limiting someone's yeah. throwing, but yet paying them $45 million, right? Yep. And, and, and we're talking about um, how a guy processes and how a guy doesn't process. Mm-hmm. And how uh, the key word, and, I, and it's funny, is you know doing television and talking about, and, and talking. I've told them the lingo of athletic and high motor, and mm-hmm. what those code mm-hmm. words are. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? The the, the high motor yeah. guy, like the high oh, motor yeah. guy, is not a black guy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. And it's funny because the highest motor guy that I bet me and you could think of off the top of my head was the black dude. That damn John Rambo. <laughs> yeah. Motor. Exactly. A high angry motor, right? Yes. <laughs> but, but yet, the the defensive player who has a high motor, he has technique, but he lacks athleticism. So he has a ton of energy, high mm-hmm. motor guy that brings the consistency. Yeah. And then, but the code <laughs> word for a black guy yeah. is mobility, mobile, and strong. Right, mm-hmm. that, that that's it. Mm-hmm. it. Intellect is never thrown in there, right? Intellect is never thrown in there, especially I I I feel like to some degree, 
as you know, black athletes. And then you, if you're an athlete, which I hear a lot of times, and and for myself is I sat on it, which is athletes are dumb. People who are in sports are dumb. And most of my career, I kind of played to that narrative, right? The angry guy. And then I started realizing, like, no, I, I can't. I am actually pretty smart. And I need to stop playing into that narrative because now they're starting to write articles and trying. And the narrative and my behavior is giving them that narrative to go, yeah, he is dumb. He, he is a hothead without any intellect. He doesn't think. And, and so trying to change that narrative and go through it for, for, for athletes is tough. But then you f- bring it back full circles. Your snips and how you p- piece that together is bananas to me. Indeed. Hold up. Then yes. we come behind it with a real live Black History Museum. Museum. Yes, bro, that was was real. And those, by the way, that was real. And those people were not actors. Oh, you can tell the people. Those were raw. Those were raw reactions. Yeah, yeah, those were real reactions. Here's what. Here's why I thought it was not. It was. It wasn't real. My man that said Nashburn. That he he went to he he went to high school with Jamal Nashburn. Yeah, it was real. Yeah, but at first I was kind of like. They planted him. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, you know, Jamal from up here. Jamal's from Harlem. Yeah. I'm talking about the guy who was talking. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, but that was just that was just pure coincidence. Yeah. Like the thing about Flint, that was like all that stuff yeah. that we had there. That's we just crazy. brought people in and they walked through. And like, so for me, you ask what space are we filling? Ain't nobody else doing this. Yeah. Right? Like, I've done the high-minded ideas that I always have, but I've also always been out here kicking it with this stuff that I'm doing. Mm. And so we're going to take bigger things and bring them to eye level where yeah. people can understand because it's not a matter of showing you how smart I am. Nobody cares about that. They care about what that smart can do for them. Yeah. So let's take these smart ideas. Let's bring them right to people and let's kick it and have fun. Like we got Ron Artest to do a video about a fake commercial about treasury bonds yeah. as a comparison to all the crypto advertisements. Yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff that we make it happen right now. What, what I love about it is basically with the, with the comedy, you basically are saying, Hey, if it's too much comedy, it's going to be surface. Yeah. But if you l- allow me to, yes, throw my spin on it and, and look at it, you start to, you start to get to the core, the yeah. root, and that and that's really the show is is about the is no longer surfacey it's it's straight to the core and the root of sports yeah. and also how how sports looks at everyone it's the it's the sports is the microcosm right of the real life issues so you bring into life yeah. the the life issues of like you talking about what is the nuance in the language in black athlete versus white athlete you can take that same thing out and you put it in corporate America, you can put it in education system, yes. you can put it in whatever else. So yeah. now we're have, you're having higher level conversations that's rooted from sports and the polarization of sports. But it, you can take it and, and talk about that same stuff in any place in life. The, the only problem is that a lot of sports people and the sponsors, they want to check out and not think that hard. They don't want to really do that much work intellectually. They want to be able to have a beer, eat a hot dog, and watch yeah. their team play. They don't want to hear about all the other stuff. And sometimes they don't really care what physical mm-hmm. uh, setbacks individuals have. If you're on a playing field, mm-hmm. you're healthy. Play. Don't nobody want to hear about it. Right. 
Right. No, they just want to watch games. Correct. Like, 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 and so over here, though, we got the space to get to the other stuff. But also, and I think this part is important. I don't blame people if sometimes they don't feel like the heavy stuff. Right. Yeah. I get it. And so when you give them that stuff, you just got to be really good at it. You know what I mean? Like, it's a matter of we got to figure out how to get the points across that we want to. But people are going to watch that show if it's fun. Yeah, if it's yeah. a good time. It's, if a, it makes it's a fun show, good, bro. They'll yeah. watch it. Right. If it don't make them feel good, they're not going to watch it. So, what, so They're coming my, for the emotional yeah. tie. Yeah. What, what's wrong with sport? What, what's wrong with sports media there? I think the thing with sports media is, to be fair to them, is it's a demand-driven business in part where I think – I think most media entities believe they are giving fans the coverage that they want. They've done research. They figure this. <laughs> they think they're giving fans the coverage that they want. Um, I think part of what's happened is the revenue models are so messed up for these publications that they don't have the money to cover sports properly like they used to. Like it's not as many people who are on the ground with the team. It's not as many people who can write like the features and the enterprise stories and the people who do write them can't give them the care and dedication they deserve because there's just not the money to pay people to do all of those things. You know, like there's there's a lot of like profit minded stuff that's a problem with sports media. But I think what's good about sports media, we have at this point maybe like the smartest group of sports writers that we've ever had, um, the most knowledgeable and like know more things about the world. Because when you're a sports writer and you get in a young the world you know is the locker room. Yep. The world you know is the field. You don't have a chance. Like, I got lucky. I got to spend my early 20s studying all this stuff. Mm. These guys were studying the game, right? So I learned from them about the game, but when it's time to make bigger connections, it's not always as easy for them because they have to dedicate their lives to doing something much, you know, something much different than that. But now I think people are coming in with broader knowledge, and if they try to, they'll know the players better. They'll know all this other stuff better because they should be able to incorporate so much more into their coverage. But the thing that's most wrong, I guess, always is going to be a lack of respect for the humanity of the players. It's the hardest thing for media to do is to see players as people. Yeah. And then they get offended when the players start to look at the media. Was that media? Does that also resonate with fans too? Because it almost goes back to your port. Oh, yeah, you, fans have it. Yeah, that's, the part that you said, how do you, how do you address the guy who says, keep, the, keep those societal uh, debates out of my sports? How do you deal with that person too? I mean, you, that, person, well, that person generally, um, they're ba- buying a ticket, right? When, sometimes the person who's banging a loudest drum is buying the cheap ticket. And the person who may disagree with it but probably is not going to say anything Mm. is a huge sponsor, and they will have those meetings after the season. They will Mm -hmm. talk to the owners and kind of say – or the organization like, hey, uh, you know, we're we're really about all lives, and and we like it. But, um, you know, uh, we got – we got things to do. But now you deal with the people you can deal with. Like, that's yeah. the one thing about it yeah. is sometimes people are not going to like what you're saying. That's fine. Yeah. Right? You you work with the people that you can work with. But I just, I would just like to, from my colleagues, respecting the people they cover yeah. is so much more important. Like, I always tell this story. Uh, I think it was Rick Riley once wrote a column in Sports Illustrated, and it was about all the players in the locker room that he said liked to show off their their penises, right? Like he said they were so proud of them and da-da-da. And I remember I was reading the story, and he gave an example of one player, and I think 
I won't name him because I can't remember exactly Pre- who it was. Thank you. I appreciate a, that. Yeah, it was a Hall of Famer. And the dude apparently turned around at his locker and stood up and put his foot on a stool and let his towel drop and then answered the questions. And I read the story and I realized you have no idea what's going on here. This dude is tired of y'all trying to look at it on the sneak. And he finally said, fine, bow. You want to see it? Boom. This is what it is. Because, Steve, you know them dudes that's walking around in the locker room looking at these cats like a little weird about all that stuff. That's not respecting the people that you cover. And the resentments that players have toward media is often justified because it's not about what you write. It's about how you treat them. In, in, in writing an article. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you got to go soon, but one of the interesting things that I, I, I've found out and even doing media myself, how many people, how many media guys are walking up to me asking me to, as an analyst, as a, another media guy, and doing an interview with me to give them the research in doing their job? I'm kind of like, I want, now I'm saying, I'm only going to do jobs and then also do an interview with someone who has done their research. If they have not done their research, mm-hmm. Catch, get me when you've done your research so you don't spend right. extra extra time out of my day, right. out of my calendar, catching you up on something that you get you feed your family with. You're supposed to already know this stuff. You feeding mm-hmm. your family with this and you asking me to do your job. Mm-hmm. I need to get some of that stipend. <laughs> right. No excuse for being unprepared. Yeah, so... Man, we appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, money. Uh, we're gonna have Thank to you, re- re- reciprocate this, bro. You're funny as hell, dog. Yeah, dude, I'm trying to keep up with y'all, man. Yeah. Look, I'm still trying to imagine somebody pour a beer on you. Like it, like, it was man. a, it was a, it was it. Hey, I conducted it was still myself a beer. well. I conducted myself well. <laughs> hey, bro. Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of you for doing that. Yeah. But to assume that that was what you were going to do was a bold, bold yeah. bet to make. <laughs> hey, Bo, this this is Joe. So I, I wasn't there. So as soon as it happened, he stood up and his jacket started coming off. They cut to camera four, and, <laughs> and then everybody everybody's texting me like, "Uh oh, I don't know what's about to happen." But he was hot, man. I took my jacket off actually. <laughs> To see how bad it was, I did not take it off to jump in the crowd. No, that's what folks thought. You took it off like. like... Steve, I think of you like I think of Ghostface, right? Like how Ghostface is really funny, but I want to make sure that he was trying to be funny before I laugh. I want to make sure that we all on the same page. Like, okay, that was intended to be a joke. I don't want to disrespect you. I just thought that this is funny. I just want to keep it on the level. I was like, oh, he's really joking. Everything. I was like, here. Cool, I'll laugh at it. Temperature check. Temperature I, check. I'll tell you this, man. I the COVID and also, you know, my family at home really have made have said some things to me. Let, let me I will say this. Have you ever took an emotional ass whooping? Yeah, a couple, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at the house. Well deserved. <laughs> right? Having conversations and asking questions. And allowing them to be truthful, and I can tell you, being a being an athlete, any kind of uh, any kind of success creates an ego, and in that ego, you hate to do it, but if you want to grow and improve, taking and and getting a poll of what you know is going to happen, which is you know how many times I've been married, my wife, twenty two years, bro. Four kids. You know how many times you stepped on that emotional landmine or you screwed something up. 
but sitting down asking is tough, right? And and but yet it's healthy, but also it's like you know what? I can hear what they say and I can walk away upset and pissed off and mad, or I can change it because ultimately when you get married, when you're in a relationship, not you yet, but when you get there, the whole purpose is you you don't want to die alone. You don't want to be sitting in your rocking chair, drinking whatever you drinking, puffing on whatever you puffing on by yourself for the remainder, the remaining days of your life. You want to do it with someone that at the end of the day, and I know this probably isn't, man, somebody you fucks with. And, and, and my wife is that person. We're different. We're literally different. We are a total opposite. I'm caramel. She's, she's vanilla, right? I grew up in LA in the inner city. And she grew up in Utah. So we're so totally different. That sitting there and that different perspective sometimes makes such of the greatest conversations. And, and, and so it's been awesome. And I want to have that as I continue to get older to where when, when life completely slows down, we can look backwards and laugh. But I got to earn their trust to say, hey, dad is worth rehashing and going backwards on some of the things that he he has said or done um, intentionally, unintentionally, conscious, unconsciously. And is he is he willing to hear? And and that's what I've been going through. And so I, I it's been good and it's bad, but at the end of it, you know, I get to be myself. And this this podcast and some of the other stuff I'm doing in media is I'm being myself. Yeah, every so often I'll catch somebody catch catch a little fire. When you throw something on me, I'm I'm gonna give you a little look now. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, man, it's just learning myself, you know, and 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 breaking down my own, uh, my own safeguards, right? And just kind of showing people I, I I am goofy, I am silly, and this is who I am. I respect you on that, man. Like, on, like on a, as a public school, like I mean that sincerely. Like that all, we all got to look back at who we are sometimes. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. and that's because that's the only way you can get better at this. Like one of the things I've learned about athletes in my media travels that's been interesting is self-improvement or just generally like the willingness to improve and to hear hard things is like, I think, I think I find for athletes generally something they're better at than my other colleagues, but it's still a hard ball game when it's like, now I'm going to take this to me, not this thing I'm doing, but this person I am, these things. Right. And that's a, but you win in the end. You always do. If you stay with it long enough, you win in the end. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little whack at the beginning. (laughs) Well, appreciate you, dog. Thank you, man. You guys have a good one. You too. You are a unique person. You are well worth it. You are competent. And most of all, you're lovable. I'm Steve Smith Sr. I'm Gerard Littlejohn. And this is Cut To It. Cut To It with Steve Smith Sr. That is me. Is a production of Cut To It. LLC, Balto Creative Media, The Black Effect, and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From Cut To It, executive producer Steve Smith Sr., co-host Gerard Littlejohn, talent and booking manager Joe Fushi, social media team Wesley Robinson and John Show. From Balto Creative Media, Cut to It is produced by Brian Baltashevich and Meredith Carter with production assistance by Alex Labreck, production coordinator Taylor Robinson. 
Theme music by Alex Johnson. Lyrics and vocals by Anthony Hamilton. If you ain't heard about it, then we're about to let you know. It's on. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.